Jesus, thank you for this little oasis we have here on Wednesday night to come and just be sheltered, Lord, in your presence, to come to a safe place, to a place where you are, God, and where we sense your spirit in a strong way. And as we've been singing, God, we ask for your spirit, Lord, that you would make us into that consuming fire, that you would change us and fill us, Lord. And I pray that you would do that through your word. I pray that you would use tonight to transform us, help us to grow and become more like you, Jesus. So we just give you this time. We ask for your spirit's continued anointing, Lord, and now anointing upon your word as we study it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read about this uh, South African woman who reported to officials that she had accidentally deposited some valuable old coins into a parking meter. The women asked that they could watch, the officials could watch for gold coins that got mixed up with their loose coins or loose chains that she had kept in a container and then transferred to her purse into a purse by mistake. So she did not realize that she had used the coins and these coins were worth $1,100. And she says because she wasn't wearing her glasses. I think these things help. (laughs) The coins were inherited from her mother and believe she also spent uh, a 1890 sovereign that is worth a small, small fortune. She's quoted saying, I can't believe I could have done something like that. I can't believe that. Well, in other ways, we many have done the same thing. We've taken something of value and treating it like it's nothing. Or we've done the opposite. We take something that is unimportant and treat it like something of value. Well, tonight, as we continue our study in the book of Luke, we find Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's really talking to them about holding to the wrong set of values. And that's the title of our message. That's what they've been doing, holding to the wrong set of values. Now, we're going to pick it up here in Luke chapter 16 from verse 14 through 18 tonight. And our outline is, these are the things, really, the Pharisees been holding to the wrong set of values. And number one is when it comes to the money. Number two, when it comes to the message. And number three, when it comes to the marriage. So those are the three things that Jesus will address with the Pharisees and how they're basically holding to a wrong set of values, wrong values in them. Well, let's begin here in verse 14. And number one, when it comes to the money. When it comes to the money, we're going to be covering verses 14 and 15. But take a look at verse 14, first of all. Verse 14. It says here, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And we'll stop there. So we begin with the Pharisees here. Remember the Pharisees are the legalistic religious leaders at the time in Israel. They were the spiritual overseers along with some other groups. But the Pharisees were were one of the main ones and one of the main ones coming against Jesus. And so here the Pharisees, they ridiculed Jesus. They they basically just sneered at him. They mocked him. And and these they ridiculed Jesus after 
his teaching on the importance of being good stewards with God's money. That's what we looked at last time. That's what's the things that these Pharisees heard. When they heard all that, they're like mocking him. They're like, what you know? What's what are you saying? You're you're crazy, Jesus. Now, why would these holy priests ridicule? Why would they mock, smear? Why would they like? I would, I pictured them going, you know, kind of, yeah, right, you know, turning their nose up in Jesus. I mean, why would they put him down? Well, Luke tells us right away here in verse 14, the Pharisees, because they were lovers of money. Here are these ministers of God who were really into their money. They loved money. That was, that was their thing. Now, take note before we go on. There is nothing wrong with having money. Money itself is, is neutral. It's, it's not bad nor good. It's what you do with the money that matters. And, it, and it's what money really does to you that matters. We understand that, right? I think I mentioned it last week. Money can be used for good. It can provide for your family. It can further God's kingdom, as Jesus is talking about. It can help those in need. It can sustain the church and its mission in the community. So money isn't bad. It's not a bad thing. But money can be used for evil. It, it can feed your greed, like these guys. It can fill your thirst for more, more possessions, getting more. It can make you feel powerful. Yeah, if you have a lot of money, you think, oh yeah, I got power. It can even make you think you have a higher position. Yeah, like you're higher in your social status. Money can fund your sin. That's, that's the evil that it really can do. It can buy more alcohol for the alcoholic, it, for the drug addict, it buys more drugs, and, and you name it, other things to fill your lust and sins, etc. But money is actually neutral. It's what you do with it, or maybe what money does to you that makes it evil. Some have misquoted 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs and many pains. So some say, well, money is the root of evil. But that's not what it says. It says here, for the love of money is that root of evil. And that's the Pharisees. They love money. They were into money. So after Jesus talks about this being a good steward, you know, of God's money and all, they're like, nah, you know, I, we don't like that. We don't like that because they really love their money. So with this now, verse 15 it goes on and says, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So Jesus responds to their scoffing, their mocking Jesus and what he just talked about. And Jesus basically says, You know, you guys like to justify yourselves before Men. In other words, you make yourselves look so godly in front of others to make others think that you're so holy. Now, these Pharisees, as we're talking about money, they would justify their lavish lifestyles and getting more money and wanting more money by teaching that to have wealth is a sign of really how holy they are. Having money showed that they were 
favored of God. Having money and more money showed that, well, see, we're so righteous and holy. God's giving us and blessing us with all this money. So the Pharisees actually taught that, believed that. They taught that it was good and holy to love money, and it was okay to love money and God. So you can see why they scoffed at what 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 Jesus was was saying about hey money's not everything money's not what it's about. The Pharisees basically justified their wealth. The more money they had, the more holy they must be. Jesus warned them actually in Mark chapter 12 verse 38. He said, "Beware of the scribes." Uh, talking about the Pharisees too, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. They like to be up on that higher uh, social ladder, up on the higher rungs there. They like to go walk out in public in the marketplaces, all dressed up with these long flowy robes, robes with long tassels, which, which really represented and showed how holy they were. They were up there, you know, in God's kingdom, above the people. And so they liked the, the flashy look. They liked the materialism. They liked all the money. They liked that status there. And Jesus is, is saying, you guys can't justify your wealth. Justify all this. Oh, the more money you get, the more holy you must be. So Jesus says in the second part of verse 15 that, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination to the sight of God. Jesus saying, you guys think you're okay. You're justified in loving money and loving God and you know having both there. But the reality is God knows your heart. God knows what's really going down in their, in their love for money. And the Pharisees, they don't really love God but really, they love themselves, right? That's why they love the money. They like what the money did for them. Remember what he said. Jesus said right, uh, right above in verse 13, he said, you can only serve one or the other, right? You, you, you can only serve God or money, right? But they are like, no, we're, we're okay. So you can only serve one of these, but it was obvious that they were really serving themselves. So, what Jesus is saying here in verse 15, for, for what you guys have done is ex you, you have exalted yourself among people. And in exalting yourself, that's an abomination before the Lord God. So they value these things uh, uh, more than God. They valued uh, this wealth and possessions more than God. They were so blind, so wrong for, and here's our point, when it comes to the money, they valued what was no value to God. That's what was going on. This is what Jesus was exposing. There's an old story of a man who found out it was time for him to go to heaven, and he asked the Lord if he could bring just one thing. The Lord told him, no, but the man was persistent, so the Lord finally said, okay, okay, you could bring one thing. The man packed his suitcase full of gold bars. And when he arrived in heaven, the angel said, Oh, hey, hey, wait, wait, before you come in, sorry, you, you, you can't bring that suitcase in here. But the man said, But I checked with the Lord. The Lord said, I could. The angel said, Okay, then, and asked him, By the way, what's, what's inside the suitcase anyway? So the man opens up the bag, and the puzzled angel says, Oh, it's pavement. 
right? Revelation 21, 21, the, uh, the streets of gold heaven is. These Pharisees, when it came to money, they value basically what was no value to God. Now, it's not wrong to invest your money. It's not wrong to build up your money, retirement accounts, things like that. But does building up your money take the place of building up your life with God? Jesus is saying, you, you can't serve both. You, you guys are, are looking at this all wrong. Your, val- your set of values is all mixed up here. And so even for us, it's better for us to invest our heart not in the money, not to love money, but to invest our heart fully into Jesus. That's what it's about, into Jesus. So these guys are holding to the wrong set of values when it comes to the money. Well, number two now, we go on to our outline heading. Number two is when it comes to the message. When it comes to the message. Now we're going to cover verse 16 and 17 here, but let's, let's look at both verses here. It says in verse 16, the the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now, Jesus moves on to something else. Their, their values are all messed up. How, how, how they, uh, they have a wrong set of values and what they really look toward. And so he, mo- he moves on and he addresses another area that the ver- Pharisees valued more than really knowing God himself. So the Pharisees, they valued themselves. Remember, they were the experts of the law and the prophets. They prided themselves as the authority, right? Especially the scribe guys, right? They are the lawyers of that, that time. They knew the Old Testament scripture in and out. And so they prided themselves as, as they know the, uh, the scripture, their authority over it. They were, in other words, the Pharisees were the high and holy ones because they were more worthy to have this knowledge than everyone else. So, so that was like how they carried themselves. So Jesus is like, uh, let's talk about the law and the prophets. Now the law speaks about Moses' law, right, that was given to him from God. So it's talking about the law, Moses, and the, and the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, everything else that was written there, basically the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, you know, you know about the Old Testament, about the law and prophets, so the, the ones that uh, you guys are such experts at, well, they were they are there as your guides to lead you into the truth of his kingdom and he's jesus saying so you know law and prophets how they were there for you how they spoke to you well that was until john now who's john here john the baptist john remember he pointed to who jesus as the fulfillment right of what the law and prophets spoke about about the messiah and about salvation through the messiah and so that is what he speaks of here the good news in verse 16 of the kingdom of god is preached so that that's that's the message of the messiah the coming of the messiah the savior jesus christ and we know that whosoever believes in him what uh should have eternal life right and so whoever believes in what jesus has done purchasing salvation will be saved and have heaven well this is what is being preached that's what jesus is saying here the kingdom of god is preached 
This is what is being put forth, starting with John, pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus is there, preaching the kingdom of God in this way. And then it says, and everyone forces his way into it. What does that mean? In other words, everyone is eagerly pressing in to get it to receive the kingdom in this way, to, to receive Jesus, to be saved, to, to know God, to have their sins forgiven, to have grace upon them. So, as we know, people are coming from everywhere, right? All around, the crowds are gathering around Jesus, His teaching, the healing. And so this explains all the, the crowds that are coming to Jesus. But you see, the Pharisees did not accept Jesus like that did not they did not value this message from John or even the message of Jesus so that's what that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 16 that you know the law and prophets you guys let's, let's talk about that you know they were there but they were pointing to the truth they were speaking about God's truth but until when John came now they pointed to me now to jesus the message of jesus and this good news everyone is receiving it but you guys aren't yeah they're rejecting it they didn't accept jesus like that they didn't uh receive the message from jesus now understand something else with the pharisees the pharisees they did not look at the law and prophets or the Old Testament as the ultimate authority of truth. They, they didn't really consider it in that way. It was actually second to what is called the oral Torah, uh, which was a commentary of the law. And it, 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 it also had um, the traditional laws and all the rituals. And that was passed down orally from generation to generation, from rabbi to rabbi, since the Babylonian captivity. And it had been passed down, passed down all the way hundreds of years to this time in Jesus' day. Later, all this was put together a couple hundred years later after Jesus. Uh, um, they're all compi compiled into something called the Mishnah. You might have heard that. But at this time with Jesus, it was the oral Torah that was passed on. That was their traditions and rituals. And they valued that even above the Old Testament scripture. I mean, that oral uh, commentary, you can say, was explaining the Old Testament and the laws and all. So you can see why it kind of crept up and said, oh yeah, well, well we need to, to consider this before what the scripture says. So you can see why... Uh, uh, to, to them, well, yeah, with the Old Testament, you know, the laws and prophets, they're important, but that's why it was so easy to give, give up. It was so easy not to listen to Jesus. You know, one of the oral laws said, the words of the scribes are more lovely than the words of the law. Isn't that crazy? They actually put that there. You know, I was thinking about how sometimes we as Christians, we can put other books, other writings above God's Word. Some people like devotionals. They're into their devotionals more than the Word of God. Or some guys get into their commentaries. Or I know uh, some people that they're real faithful in reading the daily bread, right? But not really getting straight into the Word of God itself. So we got to keep the Bible our highest source of truth. And you know what? When you do that, 
guarantee you guys, you will hear God speak through this guarantee. So let's not like kind of slide into what the Pharisees were doing. So Jesus now, he mentions, look, you know, uh, you guys, um, you know, law and prophets, everything, you know, that you guys are, are not really there on, and, and then you're rejecting the good news that everyone's, everyone's really listening to, you know, you know about that. He's saying in verse 7, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one dot of the law to uh, become void. So Jesus is like, just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, Jesus is not changing from the Old Testament scripture, the truth in there. For we know the Old Testament teaching, Moses and, and the law and the prophet, the law and prophets, yeah, you know, they're all about Jesus, right? So Jesus saying here, you know, they're never going to become void. It's not like they're going to go away here. That doesn't matter here. It's not that. He said it would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away. In other words, the effort to, to, to destroy earth, the universe, everything in it would be a whole lot easier than, than changing the truth of God's word even in the Old Testament. And then he really says, like, like even one dot, which speaks of the smallest stroke of the pen that, uh, that's written like in Hebrew in the scripture of the Old Testament, will not be made void. It won't be made obsolete at all. God's not going to do that. In other words, every single word of scripture is immovable, unchangeable, uh, indissolvable. It, it, it's going to stay. So he's like, don't get me wrong, you know, about this. Yeah. Yeah. First, we had the law and the prophets and John now pointed yeah, to me and this truth and the gospel. and Everyone's grabbing onto that. But I understand something here. That doesn't mean the scriptures are nothing like kind of they, the Pharisees are already doing. So here's Jesus. Just to make things clear, Jesus is not changing God's truth, but he's really fulfilling it you know in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 and 18 jesus said that he didn't come to like destroy the law and prophets but to fulfill it right we understand that right this the law required justice and a penalty right for sin is death so jesus came died in our place paid for the forgiveness of sins by his own blood by hanging on the cross and being that sacrifice for sin and then in that, the punishment of our sin that the law required was paid for by that perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, which is the picture we see in the sacrifices in the Old Testament temple. So salvation is now available for anyone who would just believe in the work of Jesus Christ. So all that the Moses and the prophets said were only pointing to Jesus Christ. We're only pointing to the Messiah. We're only pointing to the work of Jesus. Turn to John. Turn over to the right to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And if you look at verse 39 and 40, Jesus really calls out to these guys. And he's saying, you search, verse 39, John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. He says, 
yeah, you, you guys go to scripture. You you think you're holy. You think you're saved. You think you you're righteous, and you you look at the scripture and you and you think that that's that's it. That you're gonna find it there in in the Torah, in the law, in the prophets. But you know what? The scripture actually bear witness about me. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. And then verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life, the tree, true eternal life so see the pharisees yeah they're talking like oh yeah we search the scriptures we're experts and everything but in reality they didn't value scripture as much as they appeared to be because if they did then they would see that jesus is the messiah and find eternal life because scripture pointed to jesus the old testament scripture and that's all john was doing was pointing to jesus as that lamb that takes away the sin of the world so there's what Jesus is saying. If, if the Pharisees actually valued scripture, they would have seen this. But when it comes to the message now of Jesus, they put a low value on what he preached. That, that, that's really it. Yeah. That, when it comes to that message of Jesus, they just put a low, oh, Jesus, who's this guy? Who's this Jesus guy? No way. Right, they had a low, really a lower value of scriptures, so they put a really low value on what Jesus preached. And so, what Jesus said, his words, his message, right? They didn't value it. They had a wrong set of uh, values when it came to the message of Jesus. You know, there there was a man who loved old books. He was kind of expert on it. And he, and he bumped into a friend of his who told him that he had just thrown away a Bible that had been stored in the attic of an old family member who passed away. The, the friend said, uh, I, I couldn't read it, and somebody's name, like Guten something, had printed it. What? Ex exclaimed the man. Was it Gutenberg? I think so, said the friend. The man says, Wait, wait, did you know that the Gutenberg Bible was the first mass-printed Bible with movable type printing press, in, and it was printed in 1495? Did you know that there are only 49 copies in existence today? And the friend replied, uh, uh, you know what, the, the one I had wouldn't have bought even one do dollar. Some guy named Martin Luther scribbled all over it in German. <laughs> right, Mar Martin Luther was the father of Reformation, you know. And here's one of the first Bibles, you know, uh, ever printed, right. Crazy. That Bible would have been priceless. It, it would have been worth, who knows, right, millions probably. But I was thinking, do we treasure the Word of God in the same way? You know, in our time, we have to be very thankful and appreciative because today we have our Bibles with both the Old Testament and the New Testament Scripture here bound together in one book. In ancient times, right, during Apostle times, yeah, there was only the, the Old Testament in what? Scrolls, right? In the, in the synagogue, right? Just scrolls. And so access wasn't that great. There weren't that many around, right? The New Testament was being written at the time of the apostles and, and all after Jesus. So think of what we have today, the treasure we have today, you guys. Yeah, That, that we can read it 
and our houses at home. And you know what? I was thinking, in our day and age, we, we also have Bible apps for our phone, right? We can put apps on there. We can read the Bible, carry it with us. We have access to the Bible all the time. Wherever we carry a phone, which is what? All the time, right? Yeah, It's right there in our hands. So there's no excuse for not getting into God's Word regularly. The Pharisees didn't put a high value on on it. And so they, they, they miss the message of Jesus. And I think that's what happens with us. If we don't value God's word as his word, we miss the message that God has for us. Like even tonight, we, we could be listening, we could be connected in and, and maybe drift off in here in our thoughts. But Jesus wants to speak to us tonight, even now, through the word of God, through what we're studying right now. Perhaps Maybe because we're, we're not really into the word like we should be. Perhaps that's why we miss what Jesus is trying to tell you today. Don't miss that. Don't be like these Pharisees who are holding to a wrong set of values. All right, we've seen that they do that when it comes to the money. Number two, when it comes to the message. And now number three, when it comes to the marriage. When it comes to the marriage. Now this is our last verse for tonight, verse 18. And then Jesus says this, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. All right, now I, ho I hope you understand these three things seem like such random, you know, kind of things. But I'm uh, stitching them together, connecting it together, because Jesus is addressing how, how different their values are on these subjects. So now Jesus addresses another problem where the Pharisees seem to hold a wrong set of values concerning marriage, their marriage, the marriage of, 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 of what God, God has done and created. So Jesus brings this up, how every man, he says here in verse 8, you know, everyone, every person, man, man or woman, and especially, I feel like he's addressing the Pharisees, every one of you guys, right, who divorces his wife. In other words, divorcing in a not unbiblical way, divorcing in a way that's not biblical. And then he marries another person, you end up committing adultery, commits adultery. And we know adultery is having sex outside of your marriage. Uh, sex with someone other than your wife is that sin. It's a sin of adultery. And then since that divorce is not biblical, it's not, in other words, allowed by God, right? Whoever marries the woman that was divorced actually commits adultery with her. So does that make sense? Because the, the, the divorce really wasn't sanctioned, you could say, by God. It wasn't biblical. Then the, they're still like married, right? And the, the, whoever marries this woman who is divorced, then that person commits adultery. Now, I want you to see something here and understand Jesus is saying this because the Pharisees did not value marriage in the same way God did. They didn't look upon marriage in the same way that God created it to be. The Pharisees basically would allow divorce, and basically they would divorce for any reason at all. 
Now, understand that not all the Jewish priests were into this because uh, there's actually two schools of thought going on in interpreting what the scripture says about marriage. So, but, but, the, but you'll see what the popular one is. Uh, basically, they would take Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, that says basically if a man takes a wife and finds some indecency, quote-unquote, in her, he can write a certificate of divorce. So that was in the law. That was part of Deuteronomy in chapter 24. So these Pharisees and rabbi guys, they, they, they started, oh, well, well, what does that mean? What does indecency really mean? Well, there's two schools of thought, basically. The first school was the school of Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Shammai. Now, he was more conservative. He was more strict with the law. And basically, he would say divorce is only permitted in a case of premarital sin discovered. So in Deuteronomy 24, it kind of talks about, well, if you get married, and then, oh, you find out your, your, your wife is not a virgin after you got married, then, well, that's grounds for divorce. You could, you, you could be divorced. Now, remember back then, um, when you were betrothed, when you were engaged, that was like you're married. Yeah. So it, it, it was like, no, you can't be with anyone, anything like that. Plus, you know, God wants that uh, sex to only be in a context of marriage. So that's why, if you remember, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant with the baby Jesus, right? He's thinking, hmm, I got to let her go quietly. You know, this, this can't be. Because he was faithful, trying to be faithful in that way. But God came, the angel came, told him, no, no worries, hey, it's okay, kind of thing, right? So that was the first uh, 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 opinion or the first way of looking at this. And the first school of thought was the school of Rabbi Shammai. Now, the second school of thought was the school of Rabbi Hillel, Hillel, Rabbi Hillel. Now, this guy, he was the liberal guy. He was kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. He was, he, was, he was liberal, loose, everything, not strict, you know, in this. Well, this is what he interpreted uh, Deuteronomy 24 with. He said divorce was permitted for anyone uh, or uh, divorce was permit, permitted for anyone or a, you know, any number of reasons. For example, like this, listen to this. If your wife burnt your dinner, you could divorce her. If there was too much salt in your food, then that was grounds for divorce. If she took her hair down in public, that was grounds for divorce. If he showed her knees publicly, <laughs> crazy, huh? Uh, if she if if she talks think about your mother-in-law, then I mean about your mother, then that's it. You could divorce her. Uh, infertility, even even if you considered her not pretty anymore, you can divorce her. Barclay added, if she was a brawling woman whose voice could be heard in the next house, that was grounds for divorce. So basically, right, the school of Hillel is like, well, you can you can divorce for any reason. Pretty pretty wide there but it, he made it okay for that you could do it for any reason so let me ask you this guess which school was more popular yeah right Hillel the school of Hillel of course what happened then was the Pharisees they freely divorced 
any time, any number of times, because they felt they were legally, biblically, scripturally okay to divorce. So you know what it became? It became a way to fulfill their passions. I was thinking it made lust legal to them. It made it okay. So that's the thinking, right? That's how they valued marriage. It wasn't a way that God valued marriage. But what does God say about divorce? What does God... Let, let, uh, let me talk about this for a moment. I mean, what God values... In, he values marriage, right? In a high, high way. Now, this subject can take maybe... Um, take up several messages and even, you know, we can get really into it. But let me just give you a quick summary on some of the main points, all right? First of all, understand God meant marriage to last for a lifetime. God meant marriage to last for a lifetime. Genesis 2.24 says, A man is to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be united as one, shall be joined together as one. That, that's how God created marriage back in Genesis chapter 2. That was his heart. He created marriage. It wasn't something uh, Adam and Eve thought, Hey, you know what? Let's get married. What's that? Eve would say. No, it's God who put them together as husband and wife and so that's what we find in genesis 2 24 that god meant marriage to last a lifetime that they would be joined together as one for a lifetime jesus said in matthew 19 that let no man uh, put asunder like let no man you know uh, 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 unjoin them take them apart so understand first god meant marriage to last for a lifetime secondly god allowed divorce for three reasons. And we find three reasons for, we would say, a biblical divorce or something that is allowable by God. Three reasons for divorce. And number one, the first reason is in the case of death. In the case of death. Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 7, verses 1 through 3, and use it as an example for our, our, how God released us from our flesh. But anyway, Romans 7 talks about that in a case of death. So think about this. In God's mercy and grace, right? A surviving widow, what if God said, no, you know what? It's meant for a lifetime. It's meant forever. And your spouse dies. Sorry, you can't remarry. No, but in God's grace and all, he allows uh, the widow is free to remarry in the case of the death of a spouse. So you're not forever bound before God, even if your wife or your husband passes away. So that's the first biblical allowance for divorce is in the case of death. Number two is in the case of an unbelieving spouse wanting divorce or wanting to leave. Uh, that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 12 through 15. Paul talks about that. He, he talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 that, you know, the believing spouse needs to stay with their unbelieving spouse to do everything they can because uh, they're a blessing in that marriage and the family in that way. But if the unbelieving spouse wants to depart, then Paul says, let him depart. For God has called you to peace. So in that case of an unbelieving spouse who insists on leaving, just keep insisting on leaving, no matter what the believing spouse wants to do, uh, on leaving the marriage and divorce the believer, then that wife, then that husband is 
allowed to divorce and then free to remarry someone else and it's not considered adultery like we're talking about here. So in the case of an unbelieving spouse wanting to leave, wanting that divorce, then that uh, the believing spouse is okay in that divorce and is free to marry. Now, the, so we have in the case of death, in the case of an unbelieving spouse wanting to depart, the third biblical allowance for divorce is in the case of adultery. In the case of adultery. Now again, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9. And Jesus talked really, first of all, how God allowed the divorce. The Pharisees came, they, they said, well, what do you say about divorce, you know, Jesus? And so Jesus is like, okay, I know what you guys are about. I know what you guys are. And, and because they were just using that, right, to divorce, to do whatever they liked, yeah? And, and all, they marry whoever and divorce whoever. So Jesus, he goes, you know, God allowed divorce in the case of adultery. And he says, because of the hardness of heart. And what I believe what Jesus is saying is because of an unrepented heart of the adulterer, that the innocent spouse is allowed to separate to divorce and free, then free to remarry uh, without it considered as adultery. So, so that's the basic idea. If someone, if a spouse, a wife, or husband commits adultery, then God will allow that divorce. And um, just a note here, and again, we could get really um, take a lot of time in this, um, in dealing with a lot of situations too. Um, I, I even in the case of adultery, I, I usually try and counsel uh, the, the innocent spouse to, you know what, um, go before God, listen to God. You know, uh, you need to forgive. You can't carry that around. Yeah, and understand that even with that, God can heal. Uh, if you think about God, gave Israel a certificate of divorce. Did you know that in Isaiah, right? Um, Israel is like the wife of God. Uh, the church is like the bride of Christ, right? And But in the end, we're going to see as we've been studying in Revelation that during the tribulation, God is going to once again, right, restore Israel. And so I, I feel like God is a God of reconciliation. And the best you can do, uh, or you, you try the most to reconcile, even in the case of adultery, I think that's God's heart, to love and forgive. But worse case and if there's because of the hardness of heart if one party's like now nah, forget it see you later you know then hey it's okay god's not going to hold you to it uh the innocent spouse is free to remarry you know, free to divorce and free to remarry in that instant so this is just a quick overview of how god has mercy uh, on 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 us and allows this and and um all this is is really to show how much god values us and values marriage since he's the creator of it so back to our, our passage so jesus now comes in and he really comes down on on the pharisees because if you if you understand this now what we find in the bible in the new testament right and the old testament when when it comes to the marriage they twisted the scriptures to justify their sin that's that's what they're doing yeah 
oh yeah, it says this, but it means this. Yeah, They twist it to make it work for what they want it to be. So we got to watch out for that. We got to watch out for, oh yeah, we, we're going to follow scripture. Yeah, you know, how we, how we can uh, uh, twist things. You know, C.S. Lewis once wrote, people make excuses for not keeping the law of God, which is proof how deeply they believe in the law. And I thought that was interesting. If the Pharisees really didn't think the scriptures were from God, they could do whatever they wanted. But since they have some sense that the scriptures are from God, they got to come up with some weird interpretation that will make allowances for their sin. To me, it's like, well, if you really believe this is God's word or this is God's law, then shouldn't we just believe what it says, you know? In that way. If we have just some sense that it is, then we should go all the way and say, no, this is God's word. We've got to take it for what it says. So basically, Jesus is exposing their hypocrisy here. He's, he, 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 he's, he's revealing the falseness that, that's really in, inside of them. The, they, they look at Jesus as, oh, you know, you're changing the law and the prophets, uh, which he isn't, right? They're the ones who are reinterpreting what they, the scripture to make it say what they want it to say so they can just divorce and marry anyone they think is prettier. We got to stop making excuses for our sin. And, and reinterpreting scriptures to make it fit from, for what we want it to be. We've got to stop twisting God's word and making it say what we want it to say. We don't want to do that. We want to hold to these standards. The, the world is doing that already. Yeah? So I've been talking about that. There's a shift in our morals. There's a shift in, in what's biblical, what isn't. There's a, there's a mix of this economical movement in the world of spirituality and religion and and it'll take a little bit here and take a little bit there or it'll, it'll say something that sounds like scripture but it really isn't so we cannot be whether it's about money whether it's about the message of Jesus whether it's about marriage we have to be careful that we don't twist it into something we want it to say or making excuses Excuses, yeah, anything like that. We gotta value God's truth, who He is, what He wants us to do, what marriage is, for what it says, what God says in His Word. Let me say, Jesus is reaching out to us today, tonight, right now. He's here. He wants not just to be part of our your life, right? Our life. He wants to be your life. The Pharisees made God just part of their life to use God for their own means and gains, yeah? To justify their lifestyle, how they live, and still being holy priests. And perhaps you've cast Jesus aside because you value other things than Jesus. But it's time, you guys, that that we bring back into our hearts and, and make Jesus the most valuable thing in our life, the most important thing in our life, the impo- most important person should be our Lord God 
our Jesus Christ, our Savior. I'll close with this. A 90-year-old French woman was getting ready to move. She was uh, uh, kind of cleaning out the house, so, you know, getting rid of things. And so she hired this auctioneer to come inspect the furniture and other items in her home. And she wanted to see maybe she could auction some of this stuff off, yeah, for sale kind of thing. Well, hanging in the kitchen was a painting that she had planned to actually throw away, thinking, ah, it's not worth anything. But the auctioneer stopped her and thought it might just be worth something. Well, he was right. After investigation, the lady's kitchen painting was actually from the 13th century by a medieval artist named Simabu. He was actually a forefather of the Italian Renaissance, like the, the Renaissance period. The painting was called Christ Mocked. And the painting ended up being sold in auction for $26.8 million. <laughs> crazy. Isn't that crazy? I mean, she almost threw it away, right? I'm sure that was the most valuable thing she ever had in her life. Well, the same goes with Jesus. Same goes with Jesus. Don't neglect him. Let's seek him. Don't put him to the side. Let's value him for who he is. Let's give our all to him. Let's live for him. Let's listen to him. Let's stop changing this value of Jesus. Yeah. Let's not be like the Pharisees who are holding to the wrong set values let's pray lord we want to live for you god um, everything we are is because of you you purchased lord our life today you paid the penalty for our sin god when you died on the cross lord and it's through your blood we're forgiven and now we have new life in you we're new creations and tonight as believers we come before you and god forgive us for for Maybe after years and years of walking with you, ah, we're like we, we start drifting. We get distracted and and when we get out of the word and into other things or writings or entertainment, we start to drift from how important and how wonderful, how valuable your word is and who you are. So Lord, we, we come before you and once again, God, we we just want to say, Lord, you are important to us. You are the most important person in our life, Jesus. And we want to keep you number one. We want to keep you our priority. We want to treasure you, treasure the truths in your word, God. We want to treasure hearing your voice, Lord. God, you are everything to us. You are our life. So as we come before you, God, I just want to Say, I'm sorry for shifting some of my values, Lord. But we want to keep prayer important. We want to keep uh, sitting before your feet, worshiping, studying your word. We want to keep our, our quiet time with you important. Lord, we don't want to shift at all because you are the most important person and thing in all of this world. So here we are, God, once again, dedicating ourselves to you and acknowledging that you are the most valuable person in our life. So I thank you, God, for this study, for what we've learned, for what is adjusted now for us today, God. And may 
Lord, not may money or uh, the, your word or, or even um, the sanctity of marriage change, God. May, may it not uh, be like the Pharisees, but may we hold to it as you do, Lord. So thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen.